0: not think are necessarily Christian in nature or or that someone would point to the John Day Church of the Nazarene because of it, but it's a service that you do because hopefully that they'll point to God and see that through whatever we do. Tonight I want to tell you a story. If it comes up. There was a Japanese family of six, and they barely got by. It was in the '60s, about a decade and a half after World War II, and they had felt all the problems of of that living in America. But they were a family, and they were going strong. Unlike the other Japanese families who lived in the city who owned businesses or had skilled labor jobs, like doctors or lawyers, this family, they owned a hotel in a poor side of the city. They had little, but they offered what they could. They offered low fares for homeless people or disabled people, um, especially the men, homeless men for shelter. They were cheap lodging by people who just traveled through the city and sailors who came in from the docks. They weren't Christians. They just did what they felt was right. And yet they knew there was something more to life. So they went to church. And they came as they were. They dressed up in their Sunday best, but it was worn and not as nice as other people would like it to be. And the people of the church only saw them for what they wore and their social class. Quickly, after a couple weeks, this family of six realized that the church didn't want them to worship with them anymore. Didn't want them to, to be a part of their congregation. So they left. Never to return again. To this day, My aunts, who were children at that time, won't walk into a church building because of those feelings of pain and being judged for not having or not dressing or or meeting the expectations of this church. But let me tell you another story. This story I think most of you may be familiar with. In Caesarea, there lived a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously and frequently to the poor. And one afternoon, he had a vision in which an angel came toward him saying, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in terror and said, what is it? The angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the sea. As the angel was gone, Cornelius summoned two of his servants and a fellow soldier, who was also a devout Christian. He told them what happened, and he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as the messengers were going to the town, Peter, or Simon Peter, went up to the roof to pray. It was around noontime, and Simon got hungry and as the food was getting ready, he fell into a trance. Then he saw the sky open up, and there was almost a, a sheet coming from, down by its four corners with reptiles and birds and all different types of animals on it. And then a voice said, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, yet the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was perplexed and confused. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent from Cornelius had arrived at Peter's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was living there. Meanwhile, Peter, who was still puzzled from the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius. He is a Roman officer, but he is a devout and God-fearing man, well respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to find you and take you to his house so you can, so he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to come and stay with him that night. And the next day, they headed off to Caesarea. They arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for Peter. And he invited his closest friends and family. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius bowed down at his feet and began to worship him. And Peter said, no, no. I am only a human myself. Get up. They talked a little bit, and then they went on inside. Peter said to them, You know, it is against Jewish customs that I should enter a Gentile's house or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer call anybody impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for." Now tell me, why have you sent for me? Cornelius said, A couple days ago I was praying and an angel came to me, shining brightly, and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your gifts to to the poor have been noticed by God. Send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. So I sent for you at once, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and does what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what had happened throughout Judea, Beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism, you know that God anointed Jesus of of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the apostles are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. But they put him to death on a cross. Yet God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of all. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and the Gentiles who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who were with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to them being baptized, not that they have received the Holy Spirit as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This story contrasts two men. On one side you have Peter, who was Jewish, and his life had been changed by knowing Christ, and he lived with Christ. He spoke with Christ. But he was still Jewish, and he still followed Jewish customs. For at that time... To not do those things, or at that time, it was thought you could still be Christian and yet still participate in Jewish traditions and rituals and lifestyle. For Jesus himself did many of these things. And on the other side, we had Cornelius. He was an Italian soldier. Not only was he not Jewish or a Gentile, but Cornelius was not born in Palestine. He was Italian, it says. And he was a Roman officer, which represented the country that occupied the Jews, the, the, the oppressive political entity against these Jewish people. For Peter... To eat anything unclean or impure would be unconceivable. Like I said, he was Jewish and he did he lived a Jewish life his his whole life. He lived a Jewish life his whole life. I guess makes sense. And yet he has this vision. For the first time in his entire life, somebody tells him it's okay to eat anything you want now imagine how confusing how deranged he must feel you know I, I, he's been following these rules and this, this this lifestyle one way and then all of a sudden he feels like the Lord was giving him something else but at that time the Lord was not just speaking to Peter the Lord was also speaking to Cornelius. And Cornelius sent his men to Peter, and, and even as Peter went with Cornelius' men, he still didn't quite get the message until after he'd been talking with them and saw that the Holy Spirit had descended upon the Gentiles as well. Then he realized the message that 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 vision was trying to tell Peter, God shows no favoritism. Do not make unclean what God has made clean. My grandparents, my aunts and my father, had come across a church where they didn't meet up to their expectations. They had come across a group of believers who, who had set bounds and rules according to this is how things should be to be a Christian. And if you're not like this, if you if you can't even meet the requirements of, of, of dress or social status, you don't belong in our group. Peter, too, had expectations of what a Christian should be. For him... Jesus had come for the Jews. For Jesus primarily spoke to Jews and about Jews, and and many of Jesus' parables that we read today, he often says, You know, I have come for God's people. Why should I, you know, uh, I have come for God's children, why should I give to the dogs? I mean, constantly Jesus is is met up with this. But the Holy Spirit is leading Peter. The church doesn't do missions. God does missions. There is an understanding that missions is an activity of the church. Missions would be defined through church programs, Sunday school classes, small groups, outreach events. And even overseas, we have missionaries. But the Bible, in the Bible, the church never does mission. God does the missions, and the church participates in His plan. As we minister, as we plan and act, we must pray that He, we are doing it in God's will. But you know, sometimes, even as we plan and act for our missions, God has ways of acting beyond our expectations. In Africa, missionaries have problems when they introduce the Bible into the indigenous language of many of the cultures. As the tribes read the Bible, they develop their own... feelings of, of of guilt or their own convictions of what must change in their lives and in their culture different than what the missionaries are seeing there a tribe there are times when missionaries would look at a culture and say you know we want you to become christians but you guys you have too many wives and the bible says you know let's let's get one wife and the indigenous tribes are reading the bible and that's not the first thing God wants them to change. I mean, yes, maybe it'd be something that, but, but the, the tribesmen are reading the Bible and say, you know what, I've been horrible to my neighbors, I've been horrible to my community, and we've been fighting wars. And we need to be more loving and giving to the other tribes and to the people around us. And that's what the indigenous tribesmen, that's what they feel when they first respond to the, when, to the Bible. And the missionaries if they were stuck on the polygamy issue, the church wouldn't grow at all. In the holiness tradition, we emphasize seeking a life free from sin. For us, God's grace is more than enough for salvation, but also the redemption of sin in our lives. However, for some, the signs of a holiness life are their requirements for someone to be a part of the faith community, to be to even enter the doors of the church. We were at Ree and I were at a a church a couple weeks ago and in the Sunday school class, we had a couple people who were struggling with smoking. And while one, one guy was praising the Lord that he hadn't touched a cigarette for seven days, another woman was struggling with family problems that weighed more upon our heart. And if we looked at her and said, no, you're a smoker, quit that first. She wouldn't open up. We wouldn't know the needs of her family or share in her suffering. We wouldn't be able to uplift her and pray for her. Because God was working in her life. He was repairing the broken relationships of her family. And to her, that's what mattered most. Do we miss God's working because we don't expect God... We don't, it's not where we expect God to be. Are we following the Holy Spirit in our lives and our ministries? For each of us do have a ministry. Or are we fortifying our expectations and how God should act? What are your expectations? What is God supposed to do in your life? What is God supposed to do in your ministry or your, or your job? Will it take an event like Peter's to wake you up from, from your expectations? So many times I've heard people in the church say, well, you know, that's not what we do. Whether it's music or dress code or a certain type of outreach event. But sometimes, we may be right. And other times, we might just be saying that too quickly. It's not like we should give in to every whim or fad. But if Peter did not consider his vision, and stop and think and, and say, hey, wait, what is this about? He wouldn't have heard the Holy Spirit saying, Peter, I've sent some men to get you. Go with them. Peter was recognizing that God was working more than just what was going on in Peter's life, even though it was in ways he didn't quite understand. And here in John Day, I know God is working in people's lives all around us. And it's so easy to get trapped in our expectations of how we expect God to be working in someone else's life. Or who, even. We let God work. Our expectations of, no, God, he wouldn't work with that person. That person doesn't deserve it. But if we get trapped, we may miss what God is doing even though it's right in front of our eyes.